Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. Welcome aboard. It's Thursday, but it's not just any ordinary Thursday. The truth of the matter is that not every Thursday, not every day, no day should just be ordinary. We should uh, turn every day into something which is extraordinary. But specifically today is a unique date on the Jewish calendar. I'm sure you know pretty well exactly why and what that is. Probably for that reason, uh, you'd be rather listening to a music station at the moment because it is Lag Boimer. And Lagba Omer is a day where we hear the, uh, or where we're allowed to hear music, let's put it that way, where we're, you know, there's, there's counting the Omer, and it's a time of uh, semi-morning, and it's a time that we don't listen to music. So it comes Lagba Omer, huge, huge celebration. Here we are. We're able to listen to music. We're able to play music. Time of great celebration indeed. Why the celebration? That's the real question, and that's what we're going to speak about a little bit today. Let's first get all the numbers up and ready for you, as is often the case. You can get in touch via um, via social media. It's always an option. It's actually a popular option. So you want to chat? Chat on. Uh, I think we have a bit of a problem over here. From what I'm seeing, it looks like, all right, I hope you can hear me. Let's put it that way. And just make sure that nothing crashes over here. Okay, I think you can hear me. So uh, it is always popular for people to interact on social media. That's the best place to get hold of us. At Chai FM, at Rabbi Shish on Twitter. At um, thank you, Craig. Craig's telling me that we're loud and clear, so that's great. That means all the crazy messages my computer is giving me, obviously, are nonsense. I'm glad you can hear me. And it is the day that we. Um, sorry, I was going through how you get in touch with us. So there's Chai FM or Rabbi Shish on Twitter. You also have the opportunity of engaging with us on Facebook, as is always the case. Three four five one nine. If you're going to use SMSs. And our telegram line is 0101403020. Sorry, that's the wrong one. Sorry, 061895. 061895. Don't, don't try telegram the office line. 0618951019. So it is Lag huge celebrations in our community and communities across the world, particularly in Israel. There is a little bit of a a dampener on the Lag Boimer this year because it is the first year site where we commemorate those people who tragically lost their lives last year at the Lag Boimer celebrations in Meiron in Israel. And their memories should be a blessing and should, please God, be elevated on this special day. We're going to focus today in, on what it is that the that makes this day so special. And I know many, many people will tell you that it's because the students of Rabbi Akiva, 24,000 students, who had passed away over a period of time, stopped dying at, on this date, which is accurate. That is absolutely true. We're going to focus on something completely different. And what we're going to focus on is we're going to talk about mysticism today because the Yurtzeit that actually gives Lagba Omer its flavor, that gives it its context, is the Yurtzeit, the anniversary of the passing of the great sage Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was a tremendous mystic, a deeply, deeply spiritual person. And the minute you hear the word mysticism, Kabbalah, spiritual people, whichever words you may associate with that, I think, and perhaps you think differently, 
and in that case, go ahead and share it. But I think that we get this picture in our minds that somebody who is a great mystic is not the kind of person that you would necessarily meet for coffee. It's not necessarily a person that you would be able to have an ordinary conversation with because you'd assume that somebody who's a great mystic is probably head and shoulders above the rest of us. And a person who is a great mystic, you would assume, is somebody who doesn't necessarily have common conversation with us. And I, I think that that would make a lot of sense, right? It would make sense. Somebody who is completely engaged in the, wor the world of the spirit, in the, in the world of the soul, you know, at the end of the day, why would they relate to the stuff that we relate to. They, they wouldn't care about brand label, uh, brand name clothing. They wouldn't care about what gadgetry we happen to have. They wouldn't care about what car we drive. So there may be many things that we just would have no common language about. That's the intriguing thing about this time of the year. Because like Boma, well, it doesn't necessarily feel automatically like a deeply mystical day. It's actually quite a fun day. People get together and they have bonfires and we here in South Africa will have brides. And there's a lot of music and a lot of festivity. doesn't necessarily feel like it is something deeply mystical. And I feel that the reason for that has to do with the nature of the personality that like Boimer is built around, the personality of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So I'd like to propose this question and see what you come up with. My question is, is it fair to assume, or I'm going to suggest it's fair to assume that a mystic is usually quite uh, maybe hermit-like or removed from society, expected perhaps to live in a quieter rural environment. The question is, is it viable, is it feasible for a person to be a deep mystic living in the suburbs? Is it possible for a experience of the soul, that experience of connection to God, that experience of an otherworldly lifestyle, is it possible to have that living in in Joburg, in Sandton, living in New York, living in Paris, in Moscow. Is it possible? Is it possible? Because it feels very often that when you live in the big city, so all of the urbanization robs us, in a sense, of spiritual context. And if we had to talk about that in a South African context specifically, how often do you hear people say things like Cape Town? Now, Cape Town is a spiritual place. Cape Town, you have the ocean, you have the mountains, you have this pristine air, you have the sense of the great outdoors, you, and it's a very outdoor-oriented society. People are riding and running and walking and taking their dogs on the boardwalk and skateboarding. And it feels like a very different energy to the energy that you have here in Joburg, which is very rushed and there's a lot of pressure. And there isn't a whole lot of physical beauty immediately around us. Although I have to say the trees in Johannesburg are absolutely unique. To live in suburbs as we do that are surrounded with such greenery most of the year. In fact, even now when, when the, the leaves start to turn colors, there's evergreens all over the place. So we do have that element of, of, of beauty in Joburg. But everybody will acknowledge you don't go from Cape Town to Joburg to detox 
Whereas the reverse, obviously, you know what it's like at the end of the year. We're all streaming down to try and get a little bit of that fresh sea air because it's so therapeutic. So many people make an association. They'll say Cape Town is a more spiritual place than Joburg. So if you wanted to be a mystic, Cape Town would be a, an environment. Maybe the Kruger Park would be an environment because there you cut off. You don't necessarily have Wi-Fi signal. You're in nature as it was thousands of years ago. You're surrounded by wildlife that's operating without the interference of human beings. Maybe you'd want to go to the Drakensberg and sit on a mountain. Uh, I'll never forget once hiking in the Drakensberg. And I, I just remember stopping and listening to the silence because it was so beautiful compared to the incessant noise that we have in this city in Joburg. And that's even when we have load shedding. So, or the hum of electrical appliances is maybe less, but that's obviously overcompensated for by the generators that are running in the background. So maybe a mystic would live in the Drakensberg Mountains. Maybe a mystic would live out in perhaps Cape Town is already a little bit too urbanized. So maybe Hermanus, maybe Neisner, maybe somewhere in Mpumalanga. So the question I'm asking is, would you expect that somebody who is a mystic would be a mystic living in the fast-paced 21st century urban environment that most of us call home? And if you say yes, that somebody would and could be a mystic in that environment, despite the noise and the pollution, so my question to you is how or why? How would they be able to do it? And if you feel that it's not possible, well, then why would you say it's not possible? So let's examine this from both sides. And the reason, of course, is because today is Lag Boimer, which is a day focused on mysticism and on a very unique mystic in our history, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. You can send SMSs, 34519. You could use Telegram on 061-895-1019. And of course, you can chat on social media as the fresh thinking audience likes to do, Twitter or on Facebook, either myself or Chai FM. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. And we're talking today about mystics who care. <laughs> or perhaps we should say, are we talking about mystics? Do we care? Let's put it that way. Do we care about mystics? <laughs> That's probably another angle on it. Imagine we started an app. That was called Mystics Who Care or, or, or something along those lines. That'd be quite interesting. Anyhow, my question is specifically that we're living in, we live in urban environments. It's uh, sometimes quite oppressive, sometimes quite overwhelming. And the environment that we live in does not necessarily seem to be so conducive to the concept of mysticism, of being a mystic, of being a spiritually oriented individual. Sometimes it feels like you can't run in two opposite directions. So either you're going to invest in the world of the material or you're going to invest in the world of the spiritual. You can't really do both. So the question is, what, you know, is it possible? Is it possible for a person to be a mystic living in this world of ours? Uh, here's somebody who says, of course, how beautiful to discover this and learn from it. Is discover what? I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. Discover what? But yes, we certainly should learn from our circumstances. We learn from the things that the Torah tells us. We learn from the stories in our history. And today, learn from the individual whose name is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So maybe just to build a little bit of a profile will help us as well. 
who is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai? He's, so to speak, the uber mystic. You know, he represents what mystics are supposed to be. So if you have a look at Uber, uh, Uber if you have a look at uh, reading some of the messages that come through, and they're not on this, they're from previous shows. So if you, um, if you look at the great mystics of our history, what you'll find that they typically do have in common is they, they have some inability to relate easily to the world that we're in. And that's not only the mystics of shall we say, the Kabbalistic era. You know, there were certain eras in Jewish history where there were many Kabbalists who were quite high profile, like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his colleagues, like Rabbi Isaac Luria a few hundred years later, more than a hundred, quite a few hundred years later, and his colleagues. In, in addition to that, there's certain individuals who perhaps we don't think of as mystics, but then when you reflect on it, obviously they're mystics, like Moses himself, Moses had a difficult time relating to our world. That's why he couldn't talk. Everybody thinks he had a speech impediment, like he had a stutter, which may very well be, it wasn't a stutter. He may very well have had a physical speech impediment, but nothing happens in the physical realm unless it is a reflection of how things are in the spiritual realm. So why did Moshe have this speech impediment? Because a speech impediment implies the inability to communicate. It's difficult to communicate. That means to say the perspective and the reality that Moses and Moshe Rabbeinu experienced was so advanced, it was so lofty, it was so sublime, it was so spiritual that he battled to find a way to communicate it to ordinary people, people like us. So that's often the profile of a mystic. And if we build the profile of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, we'll see something similar, which only accentuates the question of, could there be a mystic living in Santon? <laughs> could there be a mystic living in Santon? So let's look at the story of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, which of course is the story of today's date of Lag Boimer. And you'll notice the following. What you'll notice is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was a tremendous Torah scholar, besides his contribution to mysticism. He's such a great Torah scholar, in fact, that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is labeled by his colleagues as the prime example of a class of Jew that is called Torosoi Umnosoi, which means that their full-time occupation is Torah study. There were rabbis at that time who used to, there was the famous, for example, Rabbi Yochanan Hassanle, he was a shoemaker or a, a shoe repair person. And there were rabbis, as the Talmud tells us, who were, they were farmers and there were rabbis who were water carriers because they didn't want to be fully occupied in Torah learning and then rel reliant on the community. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai had a different approach. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, you don't have to rely on the community. If you do what God wants, God will provide for you and it will come at you from unbelievable places. And because of that, he learned Torah 24-7 and he learned Torah so deeply that he was exempt from prayer. Now, we, can, we can't relate to that. Let's be honest. We sit down to learn something. The moment we open the book and we get three lines into whatever it is that we're learning, suddenly we remember, oh my gosh, I was supposed to do this. Let me just quickly message that person. And then another five lines into the book, suddenly the phone rings. <clears throat> and we've got to check and see who it is. You know, it might be somebody really important. So we find it very difficult to be able to focus <clears throat> and to be able to like really immerse ourselves in learning. Whereas Rabbi Shimon Bar-Yichai would disappear, he'd completely immerse in the study to the extent that he was oblivious to everything that was going on around him. He was oblivious to the passage of time, he was oblivious to noise, he was just in another realm. 
So that already does not sound very relatable for you and I because it's not our experience. Our experience is we, we find it difficult to focus. And even if we are, let's say we practice medis- meditation and we, we've we developed an ability to be able to focus at certain times, which is all very well, we, we don't know what this concept of Torosso Umnoso, of being absolutely full-time immersed in the books to the exclusion of everything else. We don't know what it is. So at that point, it seems to us that this great mystic, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, is not really relatable to us. Just not relatable. You know, it sounds like a tremendous level of existence, but not necessarily something that we could actually appreciate and understand. Now, that's earlier on, so to speak, in Rabbi Shimon's life. The story gets better. The story is that Rabbi Shimon sits with some of his colleagues and they're having a chat and they're talking about the Romans and what the Romans had contributed since they'd come into the land of Israel, effectively occupied the land. And some of the rabbis were giving accolades. Wow, they've done amazing things. They've built uh, bathhouses and they've uh, done, uh, you know, paved the roads and built aqueducts. And Rabbi Shimon Baruchai was highly critical of the Romans and landed him in tremendous trouble because there was a price on his head and he had to go and run away and become a refugee. Now that already tells you that again, it's not relatable. We would give credit to, to the country that we live in, to the, the government that we live in, right? We would give them credit. So it's strange. Why like this, the government that, that, that runs the country you live in. So from, from all perspectives, it seems like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is an unrelatable human being. So let's think about it. Could he live in Santon? Something to consider. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. If you have just tuned in, this is Fresh Thinking. You are with Rabbi Shishla. We're together for, what is it, another 20 minutes or so, talking today about the special date, Lag Ba'oimer, which we're in the middle of celebrating and how it is that Lakba Omer speaks to the heart of the mystic, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the great mystic author of the Zohar, founder in a sense, you could say, father in a sense, you could say, of Jewish mysticism, who passed away on this date, and is in fact the one who told us that we should celebrate, seems like a personality who would be unrelatable for most of us. And my question is, could a mystic live in Santon? Does it make any sense? Surely a mystic is somebody who's quite... Uh, a, I don't know, removed, for lack of a better word, quite abstracted from this world. Look at Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai himself. This is a person who spent his entire day learning Torah with the absolute belief that God would provide and didn't feel the necessity to engage in the ordinary physical activities that you and I do. And he was a person who didn't feel that it was necessary to speak well of the government because the truth of the matter is they were not necessarily good people. And he didn't worry about the consequences. Sounds like somebody who is removed from the realities of this world as we know it. So if that's the profile of a mystic, could a mystic live in Santon? Surely a mystic belongs deep in the Drakensberg or somewhere in the, the the plains of the Kruger Park or on a quiet beach in um, wilderness on the Garden Route. Surely that's where he belongs. Here's somebody on Twitter, Astro Magid, says, absolutely you could be a mystic in Santon. It's about what you do, not where you are. And I totally agree with that. The only thing is that what you do will be influenced by where you are. We know this from our own experience. If you're surrounded by a lot of chaos, a lot of noise, a lot of pollution, it's not so simple to focus the mind in the way that we would like 
to focus the mind. Not so simple. So I agree that it's about what you do. I'm just asking how easy is it to do those things. Now, if we, oh, sorry, one, here's another one. A, that's a nice name. A says, I think if someone wants to swim in holiness, they can do it anywhere. You could do it in nature and in solitude or around many people and the city. People are part of nature, reflecting God in their holiness. It might be harder to focus but includes a more potent source. I'm not sure about that last little bit. Includes a more potent source. Not sure. Not sure exactly what that means. All right. Something to think about. So the question is, the question is, could you be a mystic living in Santon? Could you live, be a mystic living in the lap of luxury? Let's continue with Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's story because it definitely seems to indicate otherwise. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is now a refugee because he's spoken out against the Roman government and they really don't like it. So he's got to run away and he does together with his son. And they hide in a cave for 12 years. So we thought lockdown was bad because we couldn't go out on the streets for what? couple of months and that was enough to drive us around the twist they were in a cave just two people for 12 years no wi-fi no netflix no uh what, what do you call it uh, uber eats right in fact the story is that they subsisted on carobs and spring water now i don't know about you but i know that it's nice to mix up the diet once in a while. You know, have something that you don't normally have. Carobs and water for 12 years. What do you think they did during that time? I mean, they didn't play Sudoku, right? So what did they do in the cave for 12 years, we're told? They reviewed the Torah knowledge that they held in their heads and they were, they, they, in that sense, they were quite fortunate that they had a tremendous amount of knowledge and they meditated deeply on godliness to the extent that they entered into spiritual realms that we probably don't even begin to know how to describe. That's where they were. That's what they did. And they were quite fine with it. Why? Because Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai being the ultimate mystic together with his son, who was very much on the same page, is the kind of person who doesn't need creature comforts and doesn't need to be part of the world because he's happy in an environment of spirituality and mysticism. Could he live in Santon? That's the question. What do you think? 34519. That's the number. If you're going to send an SMS, otherwise, there's always social media, Twitter, and Chai FM, either under my name or under Chai FM's name. And there's Telegram on 0618951019. Could a mystic survive Santon? This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So we're talking about the great mystic whose Yorzeit it is today, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and the fact that as a mystic, as you would expect from mystics, he is the kind of individual who could survive. Maybe we should call it Survivor Meron. He could survive being in an environment where there were literally no creature comforts, and he was quite okay with that because he did not have to be invested in this world in order to feel validated, in order to have uh, meaning, etc. So 12 years in a cave, just him and his son delving deeper and deeper and deeper into Jewish mysticism, providing eventually the wisdom that all of us would depend upon for all of the Jewish mystical insight that we have. And then he comes out of the cave. 
And that might be the most challenging moment in Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's life. You know what it's like when you've been in a room that's dark, and then you walk out, and suddenly the light's on, and it's blinding. You just simply can't make out what's going on around you. This would have been the reverse. Imagine being, obviously the cave was probably a dark place, but imagine being in a space of spiritual light and spiritual energy without interruption for over a decade. I don't think we begin to understand what that's like. It's not being stuck in a cave like solitary confinement. Being in this beautiful space of spirituality, swimming around in a spiritual cosmos, and then walking out, blinking into the sunlight, and realizing that you've left the rest of the world behind. Imagine Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son have now climbed spiritual rungs on a ladder that we don't even know exists. And they walk outside and, and, and everybody else is just the same humans they were 12 years earlier. The same faribles, the same frustrations, the same self-doubt, the same anxiety, and the same urge to spend most of their life making sure that there's something on the plate tomorrow. And the Talmud tells us, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai steps outside and he looks around and all he sees is people bent over, working in their fields. And he can't handle it. He says, why? Why would people do this? There's an opportunity at every moment of life to connect with eternal life by doing mitzvahs and primarily by studying Torah. Why would people compromise that to invest their energy, their intellect, their emotions in the here and now to plant another crop so that you have food on the table so you can live another day so that you can plant another crop? He couldn't handle it. And the Talmud says that it was such an intense experience. And at this point, he was on such a lofty level that when he looked in the direction of somebody and had those critical thoughts, it impacted the person he was looking at. And they were actually harmed by the force of his critical assessment. People were harmed. And, and, and Rabbi Shimon Baruchai got this, this terrible like, uh, realization. I can't do that. I can't be the person who harms people because I don't approve of their lifestyle because they haven't been on my journey. That's not on. Can't do that. Can't live in your spiritual bubble only to emerge to say everybody else is wrong. Couldn't handle that. And so the Talmud says that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, together with his son, went back into the cave but with a whole different agenda this time. This time the agenda was not to escape the world. This time the agenda was not to climb into these great spiritual lofty worlds that are absolutely beyond anything that you and I could imagine. This time the agenda was to synthesize, to harmonize, to find a way to take the lofty experiences and integrate them with normal life. That was the moment Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai realized that there's no value to being a mystic living in the Drakensberg or on the garden route. 
where nobody ever meets you, nobody ever learns from you, nobody is ever inspired by you, the world doesn't benefit from you, what would the point of that be? And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai realizes at that point in time that if God had wanted us to have these out-of-body experiences, he would never have put us in a body in the first place. We would just be souls swimming around in the spiritual realms without temptations, without distractions, without failures, without frustrations. But that's not what he had in mind. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai at that moment realizes that the entire purpose of any mystical experience, of any learning experience, of any Jewish experience only becomes valid when it makes a positive difference in the real life experience of ordinary people living in a mundane world. Because Judaism is not escapist. Judaism is not to run from the physical, but to engage and transform and elevate the physical. And the Talmud says that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai now arrives in town. Nobody's seen the man for 13 years. And he goes over to those same people who he was so critical of just a year earlier, who he felt were throwing their lives away. And he goes back to those same people. And his son still has a bit of a critical view. And whenever his son has a criticism, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai defends, protects, and heals the people. And then he says to him, is there anything in this community that needs to be fixed that nobody has succeeded in fixing? And it's fascinating what they say to him. They say, yeah, the truth is there's a this piece of land. And at some point, somebody plowed over the land. And then we discovered that there had been a grave there. So now there's body remains, skeletal remains scattered all over this field. And it's created a huge inconvenience for the Kohanim in the community because a Kohen, somebody's from the unique class within the Jewish community that has to do service in the temple. So a Kohen is not allowed to walk through the environment where there is a dead body. And so he's, he, he, people can't, they, they can't cut across this field. So there's an inconvenience. They've got to walk around a little bit longer. Rabbi Shimon Bar-Yachai could easily have said, inconvenience, what's the big deal? Focus on the soul, focus on spirituality, focus on mysticism. Who cares about some inconvenience? But he didn't say that. He sat down and he devised an halachic means, a mechanism by which he could allow the Kohanim to have their shortcut back. And after that, he made a very interesting announcement, which was effectively to say, between my son and myself, we have the capacity, we have the power, we have the spiritual connections, however you want to call it, to be able to neutralize any negative energy that might be associated with anybody in this generation because of their poor behavior. And look at that for a turnaround. Here's an individual who previously couldn't tolerate people doing ordinary things like producing food to be able to eat. And a year later, he's looking at people who had done bad things and finding a way to help them to resolve, to help them to correct, to, to, to allow them an opportunity for recovery. And that's very insightful because that tells us that to be a mystic in Judaism does not mean to be a hermit, does not mean to be antisocial, does not mean to disengage from the world as we know it. To be a mystic in Judaism means to gift the world with the value and the beauty and the insight of your mysticism. So I'd love to hear if you've got a thought on that. 
as always, you can use uh, social media. You could also use, um, eight, uh, you could use um, SMS line, which is uh, 34519. You could use the Telegram line, which is 0618951019. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Yeah, so we're talking about, or at least we've spent this hour together, talking about mystics and whether mystics have a place in the northern suburbs because it seems just so paradoxical. And that's exactly what Judaism is. It's paradoxical. That's exactly the point. And so the paradox of Judaism is that to be a mystic who is totally removed from day-to-day -day life and can't relate to other people is a self-serving path. And we're not here to serve ourselves. We're actually here to do what God wants. And God wants us to live a paradox. God wants us on the one hand, and this is the gift of Lagboimer, on the one hand, God wants us to engage in deep, spiritual, mystical elements of Judaism. And we should be doing that, by the way. That's something we should focus on today, being as this is the day of Jewish mysticism. So we should, we should focus on the concept of how can I learn more? How can I engage more with the mystical side of Judaism? And it's quite unfortunate that there might be people who know many things about Judaism, but have not, they don't have much knowledge about the mystical, spiritual, and of course, very inspiring part of Judaism. So one part of today should be to encourage us, each of us, to say, you know what, I'm actually going to find out more. I'm going to go onto a website like Chabad.org. I'm going to go to a shiur. Let me call up a rabbi, my rabbi, a rabbi who I know who teaches more mystical concepts. Find out how I could learn. Because we owe it to ourselves to have that mystical insight. It matures our Jewish experience. It elevates our Jewish experience to a completely different level. On the one hand. On the other hand, the message today is the message of reach out don't live a life that is just about personal spiritual development and growth, but use that spiritual development as a means to touch somebody else, inspire somebody else, care for somebody else. And here's Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai, this great mystic, and all he wants to do is, how do I help these guys not to have the inconvenience of not being able to walk through a particular field because it's got halachic questions? That teaches us that mysticism should turn us into better people more caring people, more empathetic people. That's that's how it should work. And when we have those two, when we have that paradoxical state that on the one hand I disappear on, on occasion into this mystical world where I'm completely immersed as Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was, and yet on the other hand I, I never get stuck there and I'm consistently looking for a way to translate it into the here and now, into the practical. Well, then we're aligned with what God wants. Then we're aligned with the meaning of Judaism. Then we're aligned with the infinite power that Hashem potentially pumps into our world. And then we open doors for blessings. And as the traditional saying goes, today, the day of Lag Omer, the day of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, is a day of great blessings and miracles. And please God, please God, we should all experience blessings and experience um, messages, messages, we should experience miracles in our lives and please God soon enough be able to be in Jerusalem in our holy space together with Moshiach and would then be able to have both the mystical and the practical every single day in the best possible way. I want to wish you a wonderful Lag Boimer and a good Shabbos until we're together again please God next week stay safe and stay sane. <laughs>